There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter. I have never met Dishy Rishi. I don't know him, but I do like him, Willie. I do. And Lord Willie Hockey. Well, I've got to say the thing I love about him is that film clip that they've got when he was talking when he was young where he nearly admitted to having poor friends. (laughs) (laughs) The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Good morning, Thomas. Morning, Willie. How are you doing? Oh, you'll have to forgive me. I've got a wee bit of a cold. Oh, dear. Oh, I think um, nothing to talk about this week, then, eh? No, nothing <laughs> happening, Willie. It's all, it's all calm and serene out there, I think. Right, so obviously we've been having a wee go at the Governor of the Bank of England for many, many months. Your friend, Andrew Bailey. Right, OK. And I can't believe that all the things that we've been saying, Some really, somebody has to give him our card so he can listen to the show and he can be ahead of the curve rather than being behind it, right? Here is a guy who's been sleeping at the wheel for 18 months when we've been telling him what to do and what's actually happening in the world, and suddenly now, after Liz Trust gives him a free pass, now he decides to pour all the doom and gloom on us in one week. Right, so let's let's dissect what Willie's friend Andrew Bailey is actually <laughs> saying. So interest rates are now up. Base base rate is now up to three percent. So there's seventy five bips increase. So he's trying to behind the curve. I'm totally in agreement in that, Willie. He's trying to sort inflation by taking demand out of the economy. So you and I had a wee bet. I couldn't quite remember it, but I said I didn't think interest rates were going to go above 5%. And I still think that, Willie. Hope you're right. Um, I really hope I'm right. The market now, and always listen to the market, not to the experts, they are saying probably going to peak about 475 But these are just guesses, as we know, Willie. Yep. We don't know what's actually going to come. So business borrowing The cost of it is going up for sure. In terms of consumer spending, mortgages are going up. But the good news on mortgages is they did take a hell of a spike when Quasi Quatang and Liz Trust were having their dalliance for about 30 seconds. Um, That was very bad news for mortgage holders. But they're beginning just to come down a wee bit, Willie. Even, Even though base rates gone up, I was looking at five-year fixed mortgages this morning, not for myself, and they're they're edging down because the people who lend the money have got more confidence in the grown-ups in charge now. So I'm looking for any little green shoots of optimism here, Willie. I really am. But as we've said in the show, the days of cheap money are definitely going. And as business owners entrepreneurs out there trying their best, we have now got to put our forecasts in that if we borrow money, the cheap money is gone. Let me digress for a second and I will immediately come back to the topic. 
we have pointed out over the last few weeks, few months, that the problem I've got in the moment is actually is the lack of quality and leadership. The reason why I'm digressed is you mentioned Quasi, okay? So Quasi Quirting fell on his sword, right, for the really bad mini-budget. But one of the chief architects in that budget with Quasi was Chris Philp, the MP. He was a guy that was rolled out to all the media every day, right up to defending everything, you know, the growth, growth, growth. He was the main guy. Anyway, he disappeared out the back door with Quasi within minutes when Quasi got the sack. Right. I could not believe it. When I turned on the TV during the week and I see that he's the policing minister who's going to help us with the migrant situation. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> right. So let's see how long he lasts in this one. No shame, by the way. Not a mention of what he used to do last week. And now he's the guy that's going to help us when it's going on right down. But getting back to the topic <laughs> and Andrew okay. Bailey, I think it's incredible that this week that he could tell the world that this could be the worst recession that the UK has had since the 1920s, right? And I remember I said to you about six months ago, I would shake your hand right now just for a recession, right? Because that's how bad it was going to be. He's telling us now that we're going to have eight quarters of no growth, right? So my point to you is, my question is, if Liz Trussonomics was a disaster and it was all about growth, 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 it looks like Jeremy Hunt and Dishy Rishi are going the opposite way, right, in a big, big way. I mean, the latest thing, Tom, you'd have seen it this week, you know that when things get leaked out, that's really what they're thinking about. They're testing the water, and now they want to tax more on dividends. Right. All the things that they've said that they need to do, and we agree, you know, we need, you know, we need a bit of medicine, right? But all of these things, to be fair, we have to be honest, are all anti-growth. Where does it leave us? Well, it, it leaves us in a difficult position, Willie. Um, I mean, you're right. The way governments, and you know more about it than I do, they leak things to the press and, oh, so what happened there? I mean, it's a, it's quite a crazy situation. Surely they should know what they're doing and get on with it. Um, politicians are there to make the difficult decisions, not the popular ones. Yes. But do they ever, Willie? You know more about it than I do. So in the 17th, um, you've heard it here first. Taxes are going up, spending's coming down. <laughs> I don't think that's an exclusive, Willie. Right, so let's go back to our prophecies. Oh, so, prophecies. Yeah, and, and there's a bit of doom and gloom with them. So we have said over the last couple of months that we have to keep an eye now on house prices. There's, there's going to be a, probably a reset there. And I actually see this week as well that Andrew Bailey said that there's no doubt that this will lead, there'll be part unemployment, right? So, and we are saying that we haven't believed the unemployment numbers that have been sitting at 3.7. Some people are now saying it could be as much as, as double that, you know, certainly into the fives, five point whatever. I think that um, what people have to look at now is what is happening globally. And there's no doubt, Tom, that stocks and shares are going to be hit globally. Yeah, My, who and could, have been. Well, who could ever believe Amazon was it? 250 billion down in one week in their value. The numbers are no, eye But to be fair, you, you've said it for a long time, some of the numbers that they've got values in the companies are stupid anyway. You know, people are just making these numbers up. 
Yeah. Right. So some of that has been false. But it's interesting that Jeff Bossos lost twenty four billion of his personal fortune this week. Well, so just watch the Hunter Foundation. You'll probably get a letter from him this week. <laughs> Right, no looking for a handout. (laughs) 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 That'll be two less rockets, I think. You know, going and talking about that, okay? Elon Musk, chief twit, my pal, my pal, Elon Musk. I have actually met him, Willie. Yeah, I have actually met. To be fair, I was uh, that evening you met him. I was there, but I was fortunate enough not to meet him. Right. But I think you did say, Tommy, it wasn't a full of a uh, chat, was he? <laughs> no, but, um, you know, what do you do? Because I mean, he was and is one of my heroes. So when you're sat next to him, I mean, what do you say? Oh, hi, Elon, where'd you go your holidays, you know? <laughs> you're the only guy I know. Seeing the 30 odd years I've known you, you're the only guy I know that puts a line through your heroes every 10 years. <laughs> Andrew Carnegie's the only guy you've stuck by. <laughs> oh, well, I've. A wee digression, if I'm allowed one. Um, I was at Carnegie's birthplace museum this week doing a wee talk, and I'd I'd never been there. It's through in Dunfermline, the city of Dunfermline. And um, I had a wonderful night. Actually, they've taken his cottage where he was born and they've kept it in the museum, and you can go and see the wee button bend and the, the bed, and there's a a weaver's loom in this, Willie. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable that a man came out of that poverty and then went on to be the richest man in the world. But more importantly for me, he knew what he was going to do um, with his wealth while he was still alive. So I was really... I, I loved going there. And yeah. for anybody who's interested, Carnegie Birthplace Museum, it's free to go in. Go and have a visit. It was inspirational. Brilliant. But the question is, the ownership of Twitter now moving to Elon Musk, good or bad? Depends if you're an employee, Billy. (laughs) I think it's probably bad. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff in the press. And he he just has a laugh, actually, on Twitter. So I have no idea. So the great thing about, about this is we've just mentioned earlier that the government leaked things out to see what their reaction is. It's fantastic when you own a business, when you can put it out there, what you plan to do, and get instant feedback <laughs> to your customers. So obviously when he tried it this week to say, you know, pay $20 a month for the blue tick, you know. $8 so a month. No, 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 Tom. Come on now. $20 and the the, 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 the the feedback was so bad that his next week was, okay, what about $8? <laughs> right, it started at 20 and then... What happens on Friday, he sends an email to the 7,500 staff saying, don't come into the office today and we'll let you know if you've got a job on Monday. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to read between the madness that is Elon Musk. And he is different. He definitely is. But that's, that's what makes him special. And um, there's a thing in China called WeChat, which people can live their life on. You can pay things through it. It's social media. It's everything in in. Musk has looked at this and said, that's what Twitter could become. Am I going to bet against him in that? Probably not. But it is a $44 billion plaything to him. And, um, yeah, some some tough times to come in that one as well, Willie, I think. Well, while we're on that subject, there's been a lot of stuff this week about TikTok. Right, again, another Chinese invention. 
But it's interesting that when you read some of the conspiracy theorists, right, say that TikTok show all videos, there's no guard whatsoever what they show in the rest of the world. It's all debauchery, do this, do that, all these stupid ideas. Whereas in China, all you get is videos about well-being, how to behave, how to love the party. <laughs> you don't get any of that. So I think, I, want, I just wonder if Elon Musk will go down the same route with his content. Um, I doubt it is the answer, Willie. Uh, getting back to being serious. Okay. Right. What do we think of the what we've seen, what's been leaked out already, where, where the, the next mini budget may go on the 17th of November? Is there any businesses out there that you think that are recession-proof or what do people have to do? Well, every week I try and search out for good news. It's called Tam's Nugget. It's now out there, Tam. I've, Tam's Nugget. I have been called a nugget before, mainly by you, right enough. But um, So Tam's Nugget. So this week I've found a great business because we're always saying, people are saying, oh, Tom, what would you invest in in these difficult times? So here's a bit left field. There's a business that does crazy golf. So you go for a game of crazy golf, you get a bite to eat and a drink. And you would think, well, I used to play crazy golf with my kids and all the rest of it. It's called Swingers. Bit of a dubious um, name anyway. But they've got two venues in London. They've got one in the old British Home Stores site in Oxford Street, right. which is a prime, prime site. The founders started in Shoreditch, very cheap, tried a pop-up. Um, and they just thought, they had this idea, and they thought, we'll try it, and it really took off. I got my son Jamie to try and see if he could book it for November. There's no spaces available in the whole of November, Willie, in London, to play crazy golf. So they're now expanding. They've only got two units. They're expanding now in the States, and the owner, the guy who bought Chelsea... Um, Ted, I'm not quite Bo sure. Bowling, Bolly, Bolly. Um, he's put forty-six million behind it, and we always talk about doing due diligence and businesses before we do it. They went to pitch to Ted, and he went, "Don't worry about it. I've been in, I've played, I love it. Here's forty-six million, <laughs> and they are projecting now, Willie, that in two years' time they're going to be turning over two hundred million. So here's a business, right? So people in hospitality can moan about the lack of staff, the inflation, oh my God, the VAT rate. Here is two entrepreneurs getting on with it and has found a niche, an experiential business, and they're going for it. So it it really it tells me that the entrepreneurs are still out there and getting on with it. Tom, that is absolutely brilliant, right? So let me tell you, for all the listeners today, this is unbelievable. So for all you guys that are running businesses, see when your bank statement comes in now and it says swingers own at $38, <laughs> tell your wife you are taking the wains to the golf. <laughs> Seriously. It's a, it's a real nugget. Oh, I, I'll remember dear. that one. Right, so Tom's nugget is uh, swingers this week. <laughs> I think we'll have to put this program out after nine this after, week. After the watch. We'll work with Tracy. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> right, but, I mean, let's turn to Scotland now. We've obviously seen this week about, again, the cuts. And everybody knows that everybody's under pressure. But 
with the headlines we've been reading over the last few, and we're trying not to get, this is about business, yep. right? It affects everybody. We're trying not to get too political, but we've heard for weeks and weeks and weeks about the problems within the NHS. The last thing that that needs is a £400 million cut to their budget. Well, what I would say, Willie, is, and listen, I don't know as much about this as you do, but governments seem to me to have huge budgets. You know, the, the, the Scottish government's got a 50 billion pound budget so that is a lot of money in Andy's book and it's all about how you allocate it and I think there's an allocation problem here because they keep allocating things to trying to help people but they're not really I mean this is through the foundation we are looking at this and and trying to help so um it was never going to solve the NHS just throwing money at it because we've got management, we've got layers of people. Is it too big? Is it manageable, Willie? These are all questions that I would ask of the whole NHS. I mean, we love the NHS. I, I had somebody very close to me in the NHS saved their daughter this week. and um, But how, how do we get it better? Is there a role for business in there or is it just too toxic for business to get involved, Willie? I just think it's sad. You know, it's sad that that's the first place we look. Um, I do understand that you've only got a you know, certain amount of money, but I think the, the, the state of the NHS at the moment in Scotland to cut 400 million for the budget, I think it's only going to lead to, you know, like real, real, there's got to be distress. That's probably the best word, you know, for the people operating the NHS and try to deliver services. I think it's it, it could be terrible. With um, we, we mentioned that uh, it looks like the budget that's going to come from Mr Hunt is going to be the opposite of what Liz Truss was trying to do, you know, growth, growth, growth. One of the big things I think where SMEs and private businesses are going to be under pressure at the moment is people are looking at what the public sector demands of workers are in relation to pay rises. Yes. You know, looking for 7 10% pay yep. rises, okay? Um, how how are small businesses going to cope with that? But let, let, me, let me just give you an example, my own example this week. So um, my FD came to talk to me the other day about, you know, about the cost of living crisis and what we're doing to try and help the people who work for us. And where we have been lucky, where we've been lucky, and where the bank should have gave people advice away back, while interest rates have been, at, you know, down as low as 0.1 over the last, you know, 20 years, but probably an average at a quarter percent, we've always given a minimum of a 2% rise. Okay. Right, so I'd like to think then, so over those years, if you work that out, we'd probably be sitting at the moment 15% above what the inflation rate was. So that's probably helped us a lot and hopefully that's helped the people who work for us a lot. But now because the small businesses, the employees are seeing what other people are asking for, where does it leave private enterprise, especially smaller businesses? So I think this is this is a really pertinent question for our listeners this morning, Willie. So how many businesses out there can say, here's a 10% wage increase not many i would say hardly any yeah. something would need to give and once you give 10 percent, then it's baked in let's say the the lifetime of an employee with with a good business if they're taking care of their people is you know 20 years so that's the starting point you start 10 percent up and then every year 
So that is a huge burden. And inflation will come down, Willie. It, yes. It, it, it will. We might disagree when, but it will come down sometime. Therefore, I think this is where businesses have got to be honest with their people to, to say, okay, yep, we're, there's some temporary help available, but can we afford to give you 10% rise, everybody in the company? I don't think we can. I think that's a key word, Tom, and it's a great, it's another good nugget. I think that honesty with your people, explain them a bit more about the business and how it's operating and what these increases would mean to the business. You know, we've been saying every week, you know, that cash is important, yep. right? You know, the least amount of debt that you can get is important. But I think what's going to be really, because look, we can't hide away from it. Things are going to be much tougher they than are. they are at the moment over the next six, nine months. And you've now got the Governor of the Bank of England telling you it's going to last for two years. There's going to be loads of bumps in the road. And I think one of the, the things that we could go to the areas, especially around small businesses, try and get your staff involved as much with an understanding about how the whole business operates. Yeah. And I think when we've sat down with our team and always be honest with them, they appreciate it. The more they understand, the more they actually care about the business. And But in the good times, you've got to take care of them. Yes. And maybe there's good bonuses when things are happening and, and you're doing well, they should do well. But when things are tighter... I, I've I've thought about this a lot. If you know, ten percent wage increase, wow! I don't know too many businesses that could actually afford that in the longer run, Willie. Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to Neil Logan, special advisor of Incremental Group. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, part of the Scottish Procurement Framework for Managed Print Solutions, available to all public sector bodies. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Neil Logan, Special Advisor of Incremental Group. As co-founder and CEO of Incremental Group, Neil led the organisation from inception, growing the business to employ over 350 people with offices across the world. Neil, good morning. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks very much, Willie. Nice to be here. Now, Neil, I'm looking forward to this because I've just read the notes and, Willie, I've never heard of this boy. And this is an amazing story. This could be the greatest story never, never told. told. <laughs> so, no, no pressure, Neil. We'll, we'll, we'll fix that today then, guys, will we? Aye. So, Go Radio is going to make you famous, Neil. Well, well, there you go. There's a thing. You've already made yourself rich, but being famous <laughs> is much more fun, Sam, as you would know. Aye, I, I, I'm sure it is. Would you like to tell us a wee bit of your, your story? Aye, sure. So... Goodness, a computer science graduate. So, but Where did you start? Uh, all right, so I'm, so I'm from Lark Hall. Right, okay. Right, so I grew up Lark Hall, went to Lark Hall Academy. Do you uh, know where that is, Willie? No, but I've been to the Celtic Supporters Club about a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> 
So don't hold that again. I'm, I'm a motherboard supporter, guys. Ah, I'm, a, I'm a season tick holder no, for parts, so don't hold that against me. One of my business partners, the chairman at Motherwell, Jim. He is. Jim McMahon. He is. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll I, tell I him that. there's one paying guest goes to, <laughs> goes to Fur Park. Park. Uh, aye, so uh, Lark Call and then went to Strathclyde Junior, studied computing science at Strathclyde. Came time to graduate, and at that time, you could more or less go wherever you wanted, really. And so I'd interviews across the country, some down south, and I didn't really fancy moving away. So right. uh, ended up getting a job where a Scottish firm cried real-time engineering. Real-time engineering? Aye, right. run by a guy called Jerry Dockery. Uh -huh. Jerry went on to do a few different things, uh, Smart Grid Solutions being one of them, and they, they recently exited. All right, aye. So Jerry, cracking guy, cracking firm, uh, joined there as a, as a graduate programmer, and worked my way through there. And sort of what happened in my career was I got really lucky in a number of different ways because as my career grew, so the firm I was in grew, but I needed a significant change in my career, so there was a significant change in the firm I was in, right? right? So okay. I kind of grew my career up the technical ranks, you know, working on software, building big systems for folk, doing all manner of different things. And did you enjoy that part? Of Loved it. Aye. I mean, there's a kind of there's a weird thing about being a programmer, and that when I first started, when I came out of uni, and I wasn't a very good student, I'll be honest, right? I did the bare minimum I could to get my honours degree. Sounds familiar. Hang on, I'm interviewing my son. I didn't get an honours degree. I'm interviewing my son. And so when you when you come out with a Desmond, as it was known in those days. <laughs> You know, I hadn't really fell in love with the subject, right? And so when I started working, I ended up working with a guy, a guy called Jerry Lowe, who was really, really good. There's a time when you meet somebody in your chosen craft, right? Because programming's a craft. It's not really like a, a science or anything, right? You meet these people, and some of them are just really, really good. That's the top of their game. Champions League. Aye, ah. and you realise, oh, wait a minute, I'm not very good at all. <laughs> Don't mention the Champions League. But, right? they gave, but they gave you something to aspire to. Aye. See, this boy was brilliant, he was generous with his time, and, and I took it really serious. So that was inspirational for you? Aye, massively, right. massively. Because he was so talented, but so genuine and so open. Mm -hmm. He's a brilliant guy, I still, still speak to him ah, often. Right. And uh, he can show me this path. And so I took it really serious and loved it for a long time. That business, Jerry, got bought out by a French company. Then that business was subject to a management buyout and that became a firm called Amor Group. And I was with it pretty much the whole time through. But I kept growing my career, kept moving, kept moving, kept moving. And then when the Amor thing happened, it was set up by a guy called John Innes. I was right at the very top of the technical tree. And an incident had happened, and basically I thought I was going to get fired, right? Right. <laughs> so the, the incident was there was a kind of company meeting, and I shot my mouth off, as I'm prone to do. Right? <laughs> and John yanked my chain for it, essentially, right? He's like, Pfft. so he'd, he'd requested a meeting, and you get the meeting request and Outlook, guys, right? Neil Logan, no subject, half past eight. Boom, that was it. You in my office. <laughs> so I, 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 I think we've all had requests like that. Aye. aye. So, so I flounced through. That was in the afternoon. I flounced through the office, right? I was like, fuck, does this boy think he is? Anyway, he went back. <laughs> and the, the, he gave me a tough time, put him in the backside and said, look, I keep hearing you're a leader in this business. I keep hearing you're a boy that can help us do big things. And you're in here shooting your mouth off and being a bit stupid. Sharpen up your act. 
And I was like, right, okay, that's the first time I'd, I'd spoke to the guy. This was the, this was the big gaffer, you know? Uh-huh. And then he, he started talking to me about the problems he saw in the business. And I said, well, look, I can sort that. I can fix this. Could I? Well, I'm not sure I could, but I thought I could. <laughs> Shut my mouth off to him and we started having this thing. And the great thing about John was he, he would give you a tough time, but he'd listen to you. So if I had a point of view, he would listen to it. Sometimes it was wrong, in which case he'd take it apart in front of me and hit me with it. <laughs> okay. Or he would listen and go, oh, no, that's right, and he'd do something about it. Within three months, I was CTO of the company. Wow. Within six months, I was on the board. As I got further up and got more experience, John was ambitious, John was driven. John said, look, we're going to take this firm for 200 folk, we're going to take it to 700 people, we're going to date in five years, Neil, and it's go-go gadget rocket boots. And I, I don't <laughs> I don't want anybody with me who's no... That's, where, that, that's where we're right? going, son, so are you up for it? And so I'm you like, learned a lot through that process. Ah, a huge amount. And, and it, it, it can I say to people about it, it, it bent me, Yeah. right? Because what happened to the, to the Amor business was... So, so I'd been on the tools, if you like. I'd been a programmer, and it became CTO. And then I had a meeting with John, and John kind of said to me, look, what is it you really want to do with your career? And I was like, well, I want your job, John. <laughs> you know, the, the uh, arrogance of youth. Absolutely. <laughs> he says, ah, you're a clever guy and you're good at the techie stuff, but you've never carried a number. You're going to have to carry a number. So, so what does that mean, Neil? So it means that you're responsible. The way that company was structured, it means that you're responsible for a P&L. You're never accountable. So right? so he was making you responsible then and accountable. It's, it's a word we talk about a lot in this mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Aye, exactly that. It, it, you know, you, you got power, but you get the pressure. I ran the smallest business in the group for a year. I did really well there. I'd had that conversation with him saying, what do you want? I'd said. So we were working towards me becoming either chief operating officer, so number two, or chief exec. Because that business was private equity backed, so there was a right. th- there was a kind of timeline for a liquidity event. An exit, yeah. There'd be an exit, right? We all like a liquidity event. Absolutely. So, so I was kind of building to that. And in the March of 2013, I think, maybe... A big PE house had come in to say, right, well, we'll we'll replace the existing investors and, and that would see a shake-up in management. And so me and, and a few of the other younger board members, we were going, yeah, beauty, here we go. <laughs> we'll get a chance to invest. I'd been saving money in it. And they put the offer on the table and it wasn't very good. Ah. So, oh. so John said, no, it's not the right deal. And about eight weeks later, uh, we were in Stirling Castle of all places, the money that you can hire boardrooms in Stirling uh-huh, Castle, believe yeah. it or not, right? So, so you're, you're sitting there like the medieval knights of yore, you know, <laughs> and we're sitting there and John comes in and says, uh, well, I've had an exceptional offer for the business. And I'm like, oh, no. He says, it's uh, Lockheed Martin. All right. I've come in. And we're going to complete diligence inside eight weeks and the business is going to be sold. And I was devastated, gutted. And so, so that completed as it should have very quickly. So you weren't in the equity then? No, I wasn't. So, so, so there's a comedy sketch right, here, right? Come on then. So imagine the scene. We're sitting here at Stirling Castle, but the nights of yore, right? <laughs> John comes in and says, effectively, with a big bag of money, puts it on the table and goes, and round the table, I think there was eight or nine of us, 
and all but two are sitting there going, yes, yes. He's my bit out the bag. He's uh-huh. my bit out the bag. And you're sitting going, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to grab one of these swords <laughs> off the wall here. <laughs> Myself and Stuart Kerr, who became my CFO, all right. and my co-founder, right. and a very dear friend. So out of that bad bit, you and the guy who also didn't get money, <laughs> you, you you teamed up. Aye, absolutely. Right, aye, okay. aye. And so, so what had happened was we went into Lockheed. I'll, I'll, I'll say the story with you. Lockheed was a great firm for me. I ended up in London and ran their engineering function across Europe, which was great. Okay. Big thing for a boy for that call. But the reason I, I'd say that about bending you is that that was a dream job for me. Right. You know, as a techie, Lockheed Martin is a firm dominated by engineers, probably the highest regarded engineering firm on the planet. Wow. Right. right. Just an amazing firm. And so for me to be there in such a senior position at the age I was, I was only 37, 38 at that point. I was like, this is this is amazing. But it wasn't amazing because I'd been through the experience, the hothouse, if you like, with John and the guys and building a business and growing a business. And I just, I couldn't sell. So, so you had saw the rewards there. You thought you'd contributed. But when the divvy up came... You weren't the part of it. I wasn't getting it, no. So and how did that make you feel? Sick. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you, right. So because of the way the equity was given out to the guys, the firm had power of attorney over the directors, the company directors who had equity, right? Right. So there was two company directors, myself and Stuart, who for some reason they didn't have power of attorney over. Oh. So what had to happen when the deal went through on September 11? believe that. Right. September 11, 2013, when the deal went through, Stuart and I received letters that we had to sign, which were our resignations as company directors. So I went into the office, got saw this thing, signed my name, and I basically went home and cried for a week. <laughs> <laughs> I was absolutely gutted. I was gutted. Why did you not refuse to sign? I couldn't have done that no. to them. No. no. No, okay, no, sorry, okay. Why do you know barter? But, uh, yeah. the, there must have been a few quid but, for but, that signature. Uh, yeah, well, to be fair, the, boy, the boys did bonus me. All so, right. so I, did, okay. I, I, did, I did buy a stupid motor, but I paid, for ta- <laughs> I paid full tax on it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, right, so this this uh, is quite a pivotal moment. And for the listeners this morning, you know, maybe they're sitting going, goodness, you know, chance of equity and whoa. But you've taken what could have been a devastating time but you've turned it into a positive. So tell me about the next stage. Aye, so, so what happened was, so there was, a, there was a kind of critical thing here that happened, right? Two two things, I think. First of all, John knew I was pretty gutted, and so he was sympathetic to that. To so, some extent. To some extent. <laughs> no, 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 it's not too much. No, sympathetic. Well, sympathetic, like, but not generous. No generous, aye. <laughs> oh, so he'll kill me for saying that. Uh, <laughs> In all big deals, there's usually a celebratory dinner, right? And the advisors on that deal were PwC. Right. Right. And the guy who ran deals in Scotland at that time is a guy called David Leslie. David, we know him well. We know right. David. Right. So, so we're at House for an Art Lover, having a, th- having a big dinner, right? Everybody's like a cat that got the cream, right? Apart from Stuart and I, <laughs> right? So we're greeting into our soup, you know? And he came over to us both, because I think we were sort of huddled in a corner, and I'm saying, I want out of here. I'm not for dinner for this. David came over and he said something to me and it sticks in my mind. He said, it'll be your turn next. Ah, right. And I was like, oh, right, okay. 
So when somebody like that says to you, you can do something, it's a big deal. So went to Stuart and said, look, do you really fancy doing something here? There's a there's clearly a gap in the market. I'm also not doing the kind of IT services, but mid-size, I think we could do something. Yes. And then, as you know, I had this idea that the, the kind of smallest number of folk you could have in a firm was three. Somebody to do it, that was me. I could still earn the money. I could still do the consultancy. Somebody to sell it. So I went and got the best sales guy I knew, a guy called Craig Donnelly, and somebody to count it. And that was <laughs> that was care. Mm-hmm. So the three years got together and we effectively wrote down what we were going to build. Uh-huh. So we were going to build an IT services business. We were going to sell to, we named out the markets. We're going to get to this size. We're going to get to this valuation. We're going to do it like this. We're going to go for private equity money. We're going to do a bit of a buy and build. We'll do a management buy-in. So we would, as a management team, find a company and we would buy it and take it over and grow it. We'll buy again. We'll do that. And and we laid it all down. And we went so far as we actually got it printed and bound. All right. right? And and Stuart uh, used to carry it. He carried that about with him, I think, until the day we completed the 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 sale to to Telefonica, <laughs> and that so so we laid it out and and and, and we sort of set sail in, in that thing. But was it plain sailing for day one? No, it was horrendous for day one. <laughs> so what, what happened? What you realise very quickly is, uh, and I'm a big proponent of private equity here, right? But I'm not going to slate them. <laughs> Okay. Uh, pri- private equity. Name and shame. Name and shame. Come on. Well, what they do is everybody tells you they'll give you money to the point they won't. <laughs> right. So, so we went down to London and we walked on about with this prospectus to, to pretty much every private equity house in, in London. Now, how much did you think you had to raise? At that point, right, this is how stupid we were, Willie, right? I, you didn't know. We didn't really know, right? But I tell you one thing, right, and this is true, it would have been easier for me to spend 100 million. I could have got 100 million off of folk than it was the eventual 3 million we got. Uh, yep, wow. Yep, That's, I, I've, I've found that as well. Right, so so the, the kind of mid-ranking PE guys and one we ended up with, Dunedin, so I'll name them and I'll come back to them. We... we you know, they were like, look, MBIs, management buy-ins, really risky, and you're too small. You know, we, we couldn't write, we'd need to write a check size of X and you're not going to spend that. So anyway, we, we, we set sail on this thing. Everybody said they'd give us money and we went to go and find a business to buy, right? And the problem was you couldn't fund one big enough. Or at least the ones that were big enough were run by despots and you didn't want to buy them. <laughs> so, so that was fine. So because we couldn't find one business big enough, we thought what we'd do is... We thought we would do two simultaneously. Or somebody had never done one. <laughs> we'll do two, right? How okay. can it be, Willie? I mean, come on. Right, so so we did that, and what happened was we were, we were off and running on due diligence, racking up cost right. on both of these businesses to, to buy. We had a private equity backer with us. Then the guy who was selling one of the businesses phoned us on a Monday morning and said, I've changed my mind. Okay. And my investor walked out the door and left us with the bill. Ha! And it was like, oh, okay. So we thought, well, that's all right. So we stood it up again, got a different private equity investor for one of the deals, much smaller, but we're like, right, okay, well, we need to get started now because we, we, we continued on with due diligence on one of the companies. Uh, maybe we went a bit soon because we hadn't passed final investment committee. And we were out for a walk, right? And I'm walking along the road 
and I got a text message saying, you failed final investment committee, you're done. Goodness. And I had convinced two guys to resign their jobs and come with us, and I had to go up and say to them, I've got nothing for you, I'm sorry. Oh, dear. And we took a decision that to shut the office. We were finished, it was over, I hadn't got money. We got back together the following day at Mother India's Cafe, Kelvin Hall, and, and basically this was a farewell for the three of us. So we sat down and the phone rang and it was the advisor to the business we were trying to buy and he said to me, would you get another go? And I said, well, look, we've tried it twice, it's not worked. We need to cut the deal a bit different. He said, aye, okay. Cut a long story short, we gave it another go and we got it done at the end of that November. So what year was that? That had been 2015. Right, so... Tell us now then how you get from there to your exit. First year we went in, the business we'd acquired was up in Inverurie. Grew that business, so doubled that in a year. Well, right, I think we could acquire again. This time a similar business to us down in Cheshire. That goes up to about 100 people. So who was backing you there? Same, is it Maven? It was Maven, but actually to do the acquisition... It turned out we were better with bank debt at that point. I see. And that can kind of, I think it's fair to say, can kind of soured a wee bit the relationship between us and, and Maven. So sure. it, quick, quickly that kind of came to an end. Uh, and one of the private equity houses who we had always wanted to work with, and I, I do say that also, had been Dunedin because they were mid-market. And I, I, what I didn't want to do was I didn't want to grow. My, my target was always to get to 100 million valuation, right? And I went to that in five years, and I thought, if I've got a small PE house, they're maybe going to find it quite difficult to keep funding me. I, I don't know if I should admit this to you. I was on the board of the news. But I guess before you were looking for the money, I was up it. Right. Ah, okay, okay. Right. But, but the, the boys were brilliant, though. I think this is important, but for the listeners, Aye. give them a flavour of the wee company you took over uh -huh. first, what their turnover was, and what the turnover of the company down south was. Hey, the turnover of the company that first year, I think we did four million pound revenue. Yeah, uh, and we maybe did, and I mean, we were, you were squinting at it. We maybe did half a mil profit. And the company doing south about the same. Aye, a wee bit more profitable, I think. And then your time before the exit, you did you only do two acquisitions? No, we did four. Right, so you're kind of American model, what they call a roll up. You're putting companies together Buying to bills. get you very Aye. quickly. Aye. Because the, the, the challenge with IT services was that we saw, well, it was that there was a gap in the mid-market. Yeah. And most techie firms in Scotland, right, they stole about 100 heads, right? And 100 heads is, is 10 million rev, basically, right? That it's, it's, it's the same, sometimes it can be more, but usually it's that. So, and they stole... We had a glass ceiling. Aye. And there's a number of reasons for that. One of the big reasons being that they're fearful of taking on external investment. Right. Which we were never fearful of that. So I didn't know any other way. Right. So the boys that had showed me the path, mm -hmm. you know, the guys at Amor, they were pee back. So I knew what that felt like. Right. This is important. Someone who'd suffered watching someone come me a big bag of gold mm -hmm. and no getting any of it, you were happy to build a model where you were getting some of it. It wasn't all about owning oil the company, you didn't mind taking equity, you didn't mind taking debt. So I think that that's a, a good lesson for people. This was a critical thing, right? right? See, having somebody who's financially expert has a massive impact on your attitude to, to financial things like debt and like equity and like all of that, right? Stuart was 10, 15 years PWC, 
So he knew it, he understood it, and he could get me comfortable with it. Yeah. And, you know, I go back to the start, we were three people. It was a weird thing, right, because people always talk about, you know, the chief exec and whatever else, being the kind of leader of the bunch, right? We were always three, yeah. right? And we were always much stronger as a trio. Mm-hmm. We always filled out the gaps in each other. And when it was really tough in that first year, and it, when one of us was thinking, oof, this is... The other two would rally around in in all manner of different ways. But, aye, you know, a percentage of a hell of a lot of money is still a hell of a lot of money. Equal partners? Aye, always. Aye, always. Tell us about the exit. The exit, aye. Right, so we'd grew the business far by this point, right? So we were doing about, goodness, I can't even remember, it was about eight and a half, nine million pound EBITDA. Yeah. Sounds good to me. And uh, we were employing at that stage about 350 folk. Wow. Business was doing well. We had offices in India, Bulgaria. We had offices all over, right? Here in Glasgow, still headquartered here and doing in London and, and all sorts. So, so we'd done really well. What was happening was there was a kind of... A lot of our competitors were being bought. And so there had the phone had started to ring red hot for about last summer, Right. So summer 21, the phone was going constantly. And one of the firms that approached was Telefonica. And it was about this time where they came on and they said, look, we really, we really like this business. We see what you're, the markets you're in, who you're doing, what you're doing for them. We really like that. How much you want for this business. Right. And had you thought it was always your plan to sell? Aye. Right. Well, it was always our plan. Because we were PE back, by this point, by Dunedin, and Dunedin had... It sort of ended up quite a tricky position, I think, with, with one of their fundraisers. There was a kind of necessity to exit a wee bit. So so we would go through something. I didn't think at the time when we were getting to bed that it would be a trade sale. I thought it'd be another PE house, and, and right. that's the way we'd go. But we'd always need to do something. There would always be a liquidity event of some sort, a sale of some sort. Telefonica came in, asked, and we gave them a range, I think. I, th- I think what we said was... 160 million, 190 million, somewhere in that range, right? And I said to him, look, but the challenge is, I'm going to go to a process in the summer anyway. So if you want to do something, you're going to have to table, it's going to have to be an exceptional offer, and we need to get due diligence completed within eight weeks. Now, that's what John had done with Lockheed, so I knew that. So was you a had listened and learned for that. So I was like, right, okay. So they came back uh, in January this year and said, right, 175 and I went, aye, okay. <laughs> and they, yeah, that's still quite much. I went, aye, aye, okay. <laughs> uh, and they it's said, not enough. It's not, it's not, I can have a bit more. No. Okay. It's uh, amazing how they just came right in in the media, in between what you asked for and what you wanted. Yeah, exactly, indeed. <laughs> uh, but look, the due diligence, because again, for the start, we had invested in our finance team, we had great folk all over the business, we'd always ran it to the very best of our ability. Uh, we never cut corners. We, so it was a PLC discipline, so... Aye, so, so 100%. Your, so your due diligence was easy? It, it was fast. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. But we could, we could get through it fast with a big firm. So uh, that was it. And then I think the uh, second week in March, it completed and that was us done. And, and the reason I'm so free with the numbers is... When when Amor had been bought by Lockheed, they didn't disclose anything. Yeah. Telefonica disclosed it. They, they never said they were going to. And it was uh, my wife's auntie messaged me saying, so what is 175 divided by three? 
I said, that's not quite like that. <laughs> and, and I've seen it who's in Givnock. My favourite niece. My favourite niece. Can you lend me a few right. quid? That's it. Done. And Neil, are you still in the business or are you out of the business? No, I, so Stuart and Craig are out. They left uh, three, four weeks ago. Uh, I'm, I stood down as chief exec uh, four weeks ago uh, and I'm now helping Telefonica uh, with innovation, special advisor. Right, okay. I, I, th that, that title, I should say, was a wee bit of an in-joke for yeah. anybody that watches in the thick of it. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I, a spad. I'm a spad. <laughs> I, a I, th I thought, I wonder if anybody will get this. I certainly know, know what a spad is. One of my favourite programmes of all time Aye. is The Thick of It. And Peter it. Capaldi is just I mean, oh, brilliant. Neil, Aye. what a story. Thank you. Right? And, I, and I think I can honestly say now the greatest story I've ever told what a pleasure having you on the show this morning. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks so, very much. There's so, just a couple of things I think that the listeners will really get out of this. First of all, we, we talk about in this show, are, are entrepreneurs born or are they nurtured? And I think you were not born an entrepreneur, but you're a quick learner. And you've had the benefit of having really good mentors along the way and you maybe didn't realize at the time but you have just listened and sucked out of that and you've really shaped your business and you've learned about private equity and you've learned about the team and you've learned about these things and i think those are real nuggets for the listeners this morning so what a brilliant story and i'm so glad you come in to tell it to the go radio business listeners this morning Thanks thank very you much, very much thank you Coming next on Hunter and Hockey, the boards you can't afford. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, providing secure archive storage to your business. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work-from-anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The board you can't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. We have a first for the Go Radio Business Show. What's that, Willie? Tam, today, instead of having a caller, we've got a live caller and he's in the studio. We've got Joe Harvey from Joe Junk. Welcome to the programme, Joe. Thanks for having us. Hello, Joe. Hi, you yeah. are the first. How does it feel? Very privileged. <laughs> <laughs> Don't lie to us, come on. Joe, tell us a wee bit about what you do yourself and then any question you've got, fire in. The company's called Joe Junk. Mainly, we do rubbish removals, people getting their kitchens ripped out, refurbishments, construction work. Right. It's an alternative to skips. Okay, right. But we also do house clearances as well. I'm, I'm with you, right, okay. In the Glasgow area? We started in Glasgow seven years ago. With one truck, and it was me in the van with my nephew. To the now, at the stage, seven years later, we've got 14 trucks. Wow. I mean, you see a truck, was it a free turner? Was it a transit? Well, we've got looting vans, we've got six looting vans. The guys always laugh at me because I never know uh, what vans we've got. <laughs> <laughs> we've got uh, six looting vans uh, and tipper trucks. We've got eight tipper trucks. Mm -hmm. uh, but we expanded into, into Edinburgh a couple of years ago, uh, doing the same business model that we've got uh, in Glasgow, and it worked. Right. And it got me thinking, 
could we take this to other cities across the UK? Never really been a businessman. How would I go about achieving that goal? Was that your question this morning? Yes. Okay. So, So, just, I've got a quick question back. Just, how did you decide that you wanted to start something? What gave you that push in the first place, Joe? I lost my job. Ah, right. So, out of adversity, you thought, right, well, somebody's not going to give me a job, I'll do it myself. Yeah, I worked in the metal industry. I don't know if you can remember back when the Tata Steel Works and it was a big thing in the news. And yes. right. uh, China stopped uh, importing metals and everything happened in the metal business. It meant I never had a job. So watching programmes on the TV about people that would clear out garages and right. sell it and things like that, I loved the idea of, of, of getting paid to take things away and then rehousing it and selling it on. Right. Right. So here would be my question back to you, same as Tam before I answer it. So it's important to every business, finance is important. Who have, you, who have you got that looks after that side for you? Looks after the finances? You know, the cash flow and how you're doing and how do you make profit? Uh, just my accountant. That's it? Yeah. So you, you kind of keep an eye on that yourself? Yeah, myself, my accountant, right. uh, and, right. and, and the wife. So as a business... <laughs> the wife, it's a family business. Uh, uh, well, that's fine. If, if, if I'm right, the, the good thing about your business is it's no capital intent. So if you wanted to grow into other cities, it's just a case of maybe leasing or getting more vans and bringing the people on. So I would say to you that if you've got a wee model that's proved that it worked uh, and now you're expanding into other cities, there's, there's no much holding you back. right? If you feel as if that you can manage it, you know, and, and it looks like, to be fair, as you go from city to city, you probably look at this more like a franchise. You know, you're just getting drivers and you're getting vans. Although you pay for everything and they work for you, there's not a great deal of management required if you opened in Manchester or Leeds or whatever it might be. Would you recommend franchise as the way forward? I would say look at it as a franchise. I would say not, right? So keep trying to own it if you can. If you've got the capital to hire the vehicles or rent the vehicles. Most people hire. You don't want the capital of having to find 35 grand or 50 grand to buy a van. So for you to open up tomorrow, say in Dundee, it costs you the cost of the rental for a vehicle. So that's no great cost. And then you get somebody on board. So if you've got enough work to keep them going, that's great. So there's no great capital to, for you to have one van in Dundee. And if that grows and grows, you need two or three. It's the, the, the cash is generated itself. So I would say there's nothing really holding you back as long as you've got a probably I'd call it a management information system about how you track how because the more and more you get it's hard to keep an eye on everything but if you had a a, a software package that helped you you knew were you know like trackers on vans or the thing I mean I've got 3,000 vans in the road so you need all sorts of stuff to help you manage where they are so if you had end up going from 14 to 140, whatever, it's not just a case of, I know where they all are and I know what they're doing. It's great if you had an electronic link that you didn't need to phone somebody, you knew where everybody was. That'd yeah. be my one bit of advice. So Joe, I think this is a classic case of you've, you've tried something, it's worked, I like the cash flow, so it seems to me that you lease a new van and then I take it the customers pay on the nose so you don't really have bad debt and you're not giving people credit. Is that right? As the business has grown, we're giving more credit. Just just, just watch that. Aye. <laughs> don't do that. For the first time recently, we've got a company that uh, credit check, new companies that are coming on board. Right. We are finding that uh, we're dealing with bigger companies now. 
Yes. And a lot of these companies, the bigger construction companies, are wanting 60 days. Of course. But well, Willie, Willie knows more about that. that. Don't give them that. Be strong, right? Because you say, I'm a small business. Here's what I'm doing. If you, if you know, you're getting more involved with more corporates now, it's not, no, you're not dealing business to business. You know, it's not, not dealing with the end user. I would definitely say to you that that's how you can get into trouble. Yeah. Right? Because they don't, you know, a lot of people, they don't care. They're just a number, you know. So make sure that you say, no, here's your terms. If you, they're coming to you because you get good service. See if you get good service, tell people what your terms are. So the cash flow is everything. Because yeah. I've, I've saw lots of businesses that on paper are making money, but they're not getting paid in time. And you're chasing the money and therefore, well, he's absolutely 100% right. Just get that cash in. And, um, but I, I, don't, I don't see any other um, problems here, Joe. Here's what I'd say, how you shouldn't have any worries. When you started off with your one van back then, you never thought for one minute you'd have 14. You never thought for one minute you could manage 14, but you can. Yeah. So you could easily, you could manage 80 or 100. It's only when the workload, right, becomes too much that you get something to help you. But but I would, would stress you now, hearing it sounds like now you're probably going a lot more from, you know, dealing personally where you're getting companies now getting you big orders. You, you can't afford to get bigger on the back of somebody that wants 60 days notice of you. If one of the big companies phoned you tomorrow and wanted to give you all sorts of work, that would kill you having to wait 60 days to get paid. So I would just watch that. You know, and my advice would be, yeah, don't hold back if you think the expansion's there, but cash flow is everything. You better be in a small, good business than being a big business that's waiting for somebody to pay you in 60 days. Okay. So listen, keep in touch with us. We will track Joe the Junk and um, thanks for coming in this morning. Brilliant. Thank you for Thank having you. me. Thank Thanks, you. Joe. Good Thank luck, you. Joe. Okay. Listen to Hunter and Hockey anywhere, anytime, wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions. Go Radio.